Hello, and welcome to the Raising Athletes podcast. My name is Kirsten Jones. I'm a peak performance and sports parenting coach. And Susie and I have been doing this podcast for over four years now, where we, we interview coaches and athletes and parents and, and everybody that we can talk to about how do we raise not only strong athletes, but more importantly, extraordinary people. And I have a wonderful guest on. I haven't, we have not gone down this path um, as specifically as this, but a recruiting expert. And I'm going to speak specifically about volleyball, but parents of athletes who don't have a volleyball player, listen, because there's a lot of things that are not just specific to volleyball, but really cover all sports. So Diane, I'm so excited to have you on today. Welcome to Raising Athletes. Thank you. Thanks, Kirsten. I'm super excited to be here. So we have several mutual friends. So full disclosure, right? It's a small volleyball world. But um, we crossed paths yes. a couple of years ago. And then we've both been doing our own little, you know, paddling on the side of our own little businesses and, and doing our thing. And we saw each other in Kansas City. and We're like, we should collaborate. Let's talk. So I'm so excited to have you on today. Yes. I've gone through it you know, as a parent, as an athlete, and, um, you know, as a coach, and I would love to, let's start with your journey. You were an athlete as well. And, and then obviously you're raising two athletes too. So take it away. Right. Um, thanks. Yes. Yeah, so I am from Michigan originally, actually a really small town called Brooklyn, Michigan. And I started playing volleyball and softball and I was in band and gymnastics and, Grew up on a lake and had like the perfect Midwestern <laughs> upbringing, it seemed like. Um, yeah, really gravitated towards volleyball um, my sophomore year in high school. Um, stopped playing softball, started playing club. It happens to be, well, I'm 6'4, but I was, you know, tall <laughs> from a really small town. Um, back Were you then, always too, the tallest girl in your class? Common. Always. Yeah, oh, tallest girl <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Did you like being tall? Sorry to interrupt you, but I get these questions all the time too. So did you enjoy being tall? Yes and no. I mean, back then there weren't clothes that fit really well. So that was a really challenging thing was to find pants long enough and all of that. Um, I liked it for sports and, and some things, but I didn't like it for a lot of things. So um, yeah, I remember when I hit six feet, I was like, no, I'm 5'12", I'm at six feet. <laughs> and then, yeah, I was 5'11 in ninth grade. And then my high school volleyball coach, I was 6'3", and he kept saying that to the newspapers and stuff. And I'd be like, no, no, I'm 6'1", I'm 6'1". He's drooling over you. <laughs> Come this way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So, All right, go on. I'm the oldest of three kids, and I'm six four. My brother's younger, six two. My sister's six feet. I'm like, why did I end up six four? Like, but um, yeah, it's just it was a really fun experience. And I joined a club team in our county through the YM local YMCA, uh -huh. and we traveled around. Um, we went to Chicago, AAUs. I remember going to the University of Rhode Island. Um, and then I was just like six foot three, could walk and chew gum at the same time, you know, coordinated. I played middle, of course. 
And then um, we would play teams like in Chicago, like from like Ace Tiger. I remember playing Chiba Fib. Um, just like all these California teams that, you know, it was like, whoa, you know, and then all the college coaches would just be there watching that. And then they would see me on the other side of the net, like, who is that, you know? Um, and so that's how I got recruited. And, and you then ended it was up just, you know, the letters in the mail. Yeah, back in the day, right? Yeah, I ended up going to Tennessee. Yeah, I know all the letters. <laughs> and I would get a letter from them like every day, you know? So I was totally like, oh my gosh, you know, uh, this is so cool. And then um, Ohio State recruited me, Wisconsin, University of Rhode Island, because we did that tournament there. Um, I had like, you know, was, I remember Arizona too. And I was like, that's too far away. I'm not going there. <laughs> um, so. And then growing up in Michigan, everybody goes to Florida, you know, for like spring break or Christmas break or whatever. And I had my grandparents lived in Florida. So we drove through Knoxville on the 75, um, you know, every year. So I was just more familiar with like the Smoky Mountains and everything. Um, and then uh, my dad was a history buff, Civil War expert. And so we had to visit like every um, battlefield <laughs> in Florida. But anyways, side side note there um yeah so so I really got into volleyball my sophomore year in high school and I started doing camps and I remember I talked to the setter on our high school team into going to the Michigan State volleyball camp with me and I was the tallest girl there and then there was one other girl that was like six two she ended up going to western Michigan which was a big deal but the girls that were coaching the camp were like oh my gosh you could play in college and I and I was the girls on the Michigan State team you know and I was like really yeah. which is kind of crazy because like when you walk through any convention center now and I'm 5'11 but I'm like like where are all these tall people coming from right like the men the women are all 6'4 yes. and the men are 6'9 like you're very you know you yes. fit right in now right <laughs> I fit right in at those club tournaments yeah, yeah. definitely yeah so I mean I'm kind of going way 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 back but that's how I got Tennessee. Yeah. I visited Ohio State, um, Wisconsin. I just, I think they told me it'll take five years to graduate. And I was like, no, I'm graduating in four. <laughs> so, and then the coach really pursued coaching, like recruiting me. He came up to Michigan. He watched my high school practice. Um, so yeah, he came and through like a blizzard when I signed, um, oh, well. you know, so it was kind of a big deal. And it was yeah. a great few years. You had a great experience there. I did. Um, I loved my team. I came in with five. There were five freshmen, five of us together, and we really bonded. Like we've all been in each other's weddings and everything now, um, you know, and still keep in close touch. And um, we did have a coaching change after my sophomore year, and then we had um, Sandy Lynn, who was at Illinois State, and she had recruited me too. Mm. So I really loved her. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm happy I went there. I ended up, I'm inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2007, you know, after playing on the AVP and stuff, um, and just during those years, during the 2000s. Yeah, so my daughters came to that with me. Amazing. Really cool. Yeah. So you, you graduate and then do you immediately go on to the AVP or what are your steps after graduation? Um, after I graduated. I ended up trying out for the major league volleyball that existed and it's awesome because now there's indoor pro coming back here in the U.S. Yeah. 
but at that time um, in 1989, there was um, Major League Volleyball, and they you you probably remember they had the yeah. city's you know team. So I was drafted um, my senior year out of Tennessee because I had like five kills a game or something. Like I was one of the top kill leaders in the country, and just being six four, I did grow an inch in college. Like the coach's dream, right? Yeah, so I, I tried out and made uh, the Portland Spikers. So I ended oh, up moving to Portland. I left Tennessee and I played that season. And then um, they gave me my scholarship back after I got back from playing pro. And then okay. I graduated and um, ended up playing overseas, actually, indoor. Oh, where? A few seasons. Yeah. Um, when I was 22, I went to Switzerland and I played in Basel for a team and I ended up playing there for three seasons. I loved it so much. So yeah, I was, and then I switched, when I was at Tennessee, I forgot to mention, um, I switched outside, which happens oh. even now quite often is you're recruited for one position and then they switch me to the left. Um, just because I, being six four, you know, of course you're a big block, but you have to be quick laterally, obviously in the middle. And I'm quick, but just, we had other players that were quicker to get, you know, to all the the pins and everything. So, and then I was able to hit over the block at that time. Yeah. <laughs> so my but I love this, like, this feedback to the last. I love this feedback because parents, I and I talked to a lot of parents who are like, well, she's always been a middle, but now she's not that tall. So now they're moving her to the right side. And I don't know what that means. Or she's always been an outside and now she needs yeah. to be a little bit. And what would your advice be to parents if they're moving your daughter to different positions? Are you talking about in college or club? High, club, or high both. school. Yeah, both. But mostly, yeah. mostly club. Yeah. The younger years. That's a big one. Um, it all, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but it all comes down to your list and, and the schools that you're targeting. And, and I just think that, you know, there's, Blocking is an innate skill in my mind. Um, I still think I'm six four, and I'm really not a good blocker. <laughs> I just happen to be tall. Um, but there's passing. You know, girls have that touch, just that built-in ball control, and the same goes for blocking. So I think if there's a smaller blocker, like 5'11", but she's a really good blocker, um, they can stay in the middle, and it's just improving your jump, you know. Right. But for a parent, it's just such, it's so hard. I like, I like players to be able to say they can play two positions. I feel like for coaches, you can really market yourself to college coaches saying, I'm a setter, like a shorter setter. Well, I'm a setter DS, you mm -hmm. know, I'm a outside DS, a shorter outside that can jump well and hit super hard with really good ball control could be a DS in college at the top highest level, but maybe too small to hit, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, my daughter, Avalon, who played at Cal Poly Slow, she's a 6'2 setter, um, but she's played opposite in, in club, you know, like in the 6'2 system. She hit in the front row, set in the back row. Mm -hmm. She was a two-position, fully two-position player, two she coaches. Like, she got offers as a hitter. She got offers. One coach said, I don't see you setting D1. Like, you're not good enough. And then another coach would be like, we want you to set a 5-1 or we see you as a setter for us. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So I think people that are transitioning, I think the best time, like 
if you're not setting by your sophomore year, it's really hard to be a setter in college. Um, it just depends on the athletes themselves. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think middles make a really good transition to the right. Um, a lot of players want to be outside, but you really have to be a strong passer. Or like in my case at Tennessee, we had a middle that was 5'10", jumped out of the gym, and she could pass. So I hit, hit out of the back row. I topspin jump serve indoor back then and she passed. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's like, it's really shifted. It's really shifted. Like even just watching the last Olympics with the women's team and Annie Drews, who was one of the taller players playing right side. Whereas before you like traditionally, while we were growing up, oh, like you said, I, you're the tallest, you go play middle. So that's what I did too. I was set right. middle, even, even though I'm left-handed, they put me in the middle because I was the tallest. Oh, you are. Yeah. yeah. Well, I ended up when yeah, I got Annie to Annie Drews was left-handed too. Yeah. I yeah. guess they put me right side and then ultimately had me setting. So, it, but I think a lot of times yeah. now they're even, like you said, if the middle blocker may not be the biggest, but is the most agile and mo- mobile and able to get up quick mm-hmm. and early to be a good decoy, then maybe you're, you're better, right. you know, uh, uh, more athletic, you know, right. As, as a right side hitter or, mm-hmm. you know, or an outside. right? Opinion. And I do. Yeah. I do like to provide metrics too. It helps like, um, if you're a power five conference athlete, you know, and that's your target list, you need to be playing at a really high point above the net. So hitting, blocking a curve, you know, hitters touching 10 feet ish, um, yeah. you know, power five conferences. Um, so then if you're a shorter blocker, well, what's your block jump touch? You know, could mm-hmm. you block someone that's hitting at, at 10 feet or nine feet? you know so that's the question and like well I'm a smaller middle well that's a not probably not okay for the Pac-12 or the Big Ten if you're a 5'11 middle but then mm-hmm. if you're tar- you know if you're D3 if you're you know targeting mid-majors or you know what I mean so yeah let's that talk makes about a big difference for sure away from you a little bit but um use that moment to to pivot a little bit to talk about recruiting at all levels so you were just mentioning the top levels but there's a lot of schools out there that aren't top you know top levels that are great schools and that are great opportunities right. you know, how do how do you help these athletes and the parents figure out where the best fit is for their daughter or son are you, are right. you working with yeah I, I don't have any boy uh, boy volleyball players like that I'm working with one on one right now, but I'm I w- will. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, and then I have like I send out emails every week, and so that's very applicable to boys. Um, so, anyways, yeah, I think you know there's for girls there's over 360 Division One programs. There's over a thousand college programs to play for. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go all the way down to NAIA levels, um, and I shouldn't say all the way down to, I mean, it's just, what is a fit? You know, the student population is, and I'm learning as I've been doing this for five years, the student population and the location are huge for the athlete and the academics and what they're looking for. So um, NAIA schools are smaller student population, smaller class sizes. Some kids want that, love that. That's 
that's what they want, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, other, I've talked to other players that I want to play at a big football school with a lot of sports and tradition and, you know, fraternities, sororities, and all of that. So you just have to be the level of play of those conferences um, and divisions. So that's just, you know, everybody, I've heard people say, well, everybody can play anywhere, you know, and maybe that's true. I, whoever I talk to or whoever I work with, I don't guarantee that I could help them play in college because it's not about, yes, you could play somewhere, but is it a fit? You know, it has to be a fit for you. And the school itself has, it has to be a place that you would play at if you couldn't play volleyball anymore. If you had a career ending injury, you wouldn't want, you would still want to go to school there. Yeah. I call it the broken leg. So that's legs. really important. Yeah. Knowing that you're going to be happy there, regardless of whether you're the starter or not. And there's some kids too. Like when I talk to athletes, some of them just want to be on the team. Like they don't really care if they ever touch the floor, yes. um, you know? And, and so you also have to know what is your goal? Is it just to be a part of the team or is it to be a starter or is it to work your way into the lineup? Like what is right. your object, you know, objective around going to that school? And is it realistic? Yeah. And the financial aspect. I mean, some people really need a full scholarship. Um, If that's the case, then, you know, Division One, there's 12 full scholarships per team, right? Based on funding of the team itself, but in general. So, you know, then, well, you got to get moving earlier in the process, too, for to get those full scholarships you can't it's hard to get that when it's end of your junior year senior year you know it just depends again on the player um if even even roster girls that all the sorry even roster size i feel like post covid has now changed right like where you do they do have you know the t1s all have 12 scholarships but i'm on the board with william and mary and they were just talking they're going to carry 20 this year so eight of them won't, yeah. be on, won't be on scholarship, which is definitely, I think, a change. Are you hearing that to be more of the case, too, where people are, teams are carrying larger rosters? They were definitely um, because of the fifth year, extra yeah. year. It was like, uh, I know Cal Poly had, I think, 22. Um, but, yeah, I would say 19, 16 to 20 is about normal now. Um yeah, 16 to 19, because of injuries. Usually they're carrying three to five liberos. Um, you know, people, the 2024 class is the last class to be really affected by that fifth year COVID year, but they're constantly competing with transfers. Um, so that that's a whole nother realm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I would say, yeah, 20 would be to us back when we were playing, that's a lot, um, but now it's not as much so what are you, speaking of transfer portal so what are you hearing like is that impacting some of these girls coming out of high school still or is that calming down or where wh- what are you hearing about um the transfer portal i know about it for basketball but i'm not as aware of it with volleyball yeah um it's very much affecting recruiting so um any any athlete in the recruiting process in high school is competing with the transfer portal it's just now it's it's just the way it is and then it comes down to the college coach deciding well do I want the libero who has already played in college for at least one year two years that she can step on the court and play like we need somebody on the court that can play versus 
of freshmen coming in that we need to get ramped up to speed. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just the difference with, it's up to the college coaches. Did they have people transfer out that they weren't expecting that they need to get, you know, experienced players coming in? Mm -hmm. So it's really up, it's about the experience level, really. Um, I was talking to one so, D1 coach and he was saying that the grad transfer too can be a blessing and a curse when they only have one year of eligibility because yes. some of them are like, I'm all in and they, they're happy to be a part of the family. And others are like, I'm only here for three months. So it doesn't really, you know, or a couple months. So I'm not really interested in learning your system. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's a culture thing too. Yeah, yeah. It's hard for a grad transfer to step in and just if it's a completely different culture that they came from, uh, from yeah. a team, you know, perspective. Yeah. It's, I think Texas and U USD had good, <laughs> good grad transfer situations, right? Yeah. Um, which really just their team culture went through the roof, you know? Right. So it's just, yeah. And that's a recruiting ish thing. Like the coaches, when they're talking to potential grad transfers, you know, that's, that's, probably number one other than what can you do for us on the court of course is what's the culture what's this player how they're going to affect our team culture for that one year or three months speaking of that yeah. so along the lines of recruiting um one of the biggest questions i'm sure you get as well is you know what should i be asking what should i be focusing on like let's pretend that you've got now you've got you're on the phone with the coach or maybe you know he's come she or she, he's come to watch you play a couple times what do you tell them to be mm -hmm. looking for and asking when they get a chance to speak with a coach yeah and we're coming up to june 15th here really soon um yeah so just really explain that for people who don't know what what is the significance oh yeah yeah i always forget everybody doesn't yeah. know you don't know. <laughs> well, it didn't affect my daughter who just finished her fifth year at Cal Poly. And um, she's a 2018, and this rule came into effect in 2019. But the rule is um, the NCAA says now for D1 and D2 that you can't communicate back and forth with the athlete until June 15th after their sophomore year. So, freshman year, Eighth graders, no, not at all. But ninth grade, tenth grade, the players can reach out to the coaches as much as they want and can. And and I work, you know, I definitely advise doing that, emailing, asking them to watch you play, getting on their radar, all of that. And then June fifteenth hits, and then at twelve oh one, midnight, you know, you might get some scheduled sends from coaches saying, you know, we'd love to get on the phone with you. You know, what, so what I'm age telling, do you recommend starting to reach out to schools or does it depend? I like, on um, and you know, I only did it with both of my daughters because I actually had other parents telling me, Diane, you know, what's going on. And this is before I started doing what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> I'm like, really? Like ninth grade, you know? Um, and so I started to panic a little bit. So Avalon, my older one, she had a visit in freshman year fall oh, wow. and she got on campus at the school and the academic advisor, she met with them and they're like, you're a freshman. <laughs> so you can't do that anymore. Which I don't know about you, but I wholly endorse. Like, I mean, 
my 17 year old doesn't know what she wants for dinner. So like asking a 15 year old what they want to do four years from now and whether they're going to be happy there or not is nuts. I well, think. That's why the NCAA teams that made that rule. Um, yeah. They wanted to have athletes more on the same timeline as a regular student, you know? So, um, but I still, to answer your question, freshmen need to start emailing and reaching out to coaches. I think their high school season of their freshman year, so fall, start taking video and emailing and you send an intro email. I'm I'm on the JV team at my, or freshman team or whatever, and you have two to three minutes of highlight video from high school, um, always showing your best skills at the front end of the video, and then you're emailing the coaches. See, I like freshmen to have 40 schools on their list. Which and is how do hard. I determine what schools I should put on my list? I, I put any schools. <laughs> I think it's okay to have a really broad list of schools that you know your your parents know about, or you know you just have in your universe. Um, but then, like, really, um, there is a link on the NCAA website to membership directory, and you can look up all the conferences and filter to volleyball. Um, and divisions and all of that, but it's hard even to know your level, right, as a freshman. So, I mean, it's just talking to your high school coach, your club coach, your parents, and just really looking at, well, where would I want to be? Like, where in the country? Um, My daughter, my older daughter, Avalon, you know, she did email University of Michigan, Michigan State, because I'm from there, yeah. So my parents, my sister, my brother, like she would have family there. Yeah. And so then she did Minnesota, Duke, like all these schools. And we didn't know, you know, I mean, she, she's tall, you know, we knew she'd be a tall player, but we weren't sure what level she would be and all of that. And so then like six months down the road, she said, I don't want to go where it snows, you know, and this is like going into her sophomore year. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, that's helpful. And kept this whole part so, of the country. <laughs> yeah. Um, and but she didn't know, you yeah. know, she didn't yeah. know at first. Um, so I like also like Christmas break. Well, are you going on vacation somewhere um, where you could visit a couple campuses, just drive around, you know, mm-hmm. um, spring break. That's very common. And then when athletes are going to all these club tournaments, different qualifiers around the country try to plan you know if there's a way to see any campuses around you know like big south i know we had a lot of my younger daughter's teammates went to visit emory and georgia state and just drive around you know so that's a really good thing to do too um so it just that's why i like players to start as freshmen just Take it slow, ease into it. And then you're just like trying to figure out what are your likes and dislikes, mm-hmm. you know, um, academically, how are you doing in school, in high school, you know? Could so you don't get be into... when you don't hear back because the, you, you won't if you're a freshman. Right, right? you won't, right. Yeah, because um, I think right. a lot of parents don't know that. They're like, well, you know, the, and, I, and I know my kid would be like, oh, I emailed and they never responded. So they must not want me. No, like. <laughs> They're not allowed to respond to you. Right. right. They can't respond until June 15th after your sophomore year. The difference would be D3s and NAIA schools can respond. 
Okay. So I've worked with D3 athletes. I know that that's where they want to go. They know that's their level and academics and everything. And so I've had players that are emailing back and forth and on the phone, you know, as late freshman year, early sophomore year with D3 programs. And, and that's fine. Because D3 moves a little slower from an admission standpoint. So they're not going to verbally commit somebody like June 20th after their sophomore year. You know, they can't offer, nobody can offer a D1s and D2s scholarships or talk recruiting or talk to the athletes before, like, as I said, June 15th after their sophomore year. But coaches can respond. They wouldn't normally as freshmen, but as sophomores, sometimes they can respond through your club coordinator, club recruiting coordinator. Mm -hmm. So I like athletes their sophomore year, even like now, if 2025s respond or sending emails saying, I would love to know if you're recruiting a 2025 setter, please feel free to contact my recruiting coordinator with their email. Um, and, and they can respond and say yes to that recruiting coordinator. We're recruiting a 25 setter. We have general interest in her name. Like yeah. they can say that. Nice. So that's really encouraging. Um, but they won't do all of that unless they're really interested. So they really like the video. They've maybe been watching the player play, you mm -hmm. know, and trying to set up, like, set the stage to get on the phone. But the athlete can also, that's why Proactive Volley is my company name. The athlete can push that and set that stage, right, yeah. to get on the phone. So. And I, I have two boys and a girl and I, in general, I'm going to be sexist maybe, but I, girls are usually better at being a little bit more assertive. And again, I know it's not all kids. Then the boys are like sitting there in their senior year, like, why would I send a video? You're like, well, if you want, right. So like, but if you have a kid and I've had both, right. That one, you know, even though he had great tape and he knew what he was supposed to do and he had somebody telling him what to do, he was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. And, you know, and then other kids who are, yeah are really on it and they're they start sending them in eighth grade and they're following up and they're yes. you know, so it, so you need to parents you know advice if if you have one of those that isn't doing it but you know they want to then you can't you shouldn't do it for them but help them find tools that will help them you know get get move along the path right is that what right yeah i mean i have checklists that i know players will print out and go down this checklist um for starting the recruiting process um you can get that on my website um but it's yeah it's just say say not, your website not, name again what is it proactive um, proactive volley.com perfect so proactive then v-o-l-l-e-y.com perfect and so i have yeah a checklist for freshman sophomores gearing up to um you know the the beginning of the process and then junior seniors with separate page because they can talk to the coaches. Um, so starting with the phone calls, getting on the eligibility center as a junior, and that type of stuff. So um, it's been very helpful for a lot of people. Um, and then, you know, once you get to June 15th or you're in your junior year or, you know, fall of your senior year and you, you're getting on the phone with coaches, I my number one thing is don't use that time to ask questions that you can look up. Like if you could just, you know, for sure, look at the coach that you're talking to, look at their bio, just to know their background on the website. 
but every college team, you know, they practice every day in the fall. They have academic advisors that support the athletes, you know. Um, so I like, you know, players, well, is it a deal breaker? Do you practice in the morning or the afternoon, you know? Yeah. Right. So don't worry about those types of questions, especially on the first call. Um, it's more about, like, what is your team culture? What type of um, player are you trying to, to recruit? Like, my, my younger daughter, we just did a year ago all of her phone calls, and she's a, a lefty opposite, like you. Yeah. Um, and she would say, what is the, what would a perfect lefty opposite or a perfect player in the opposite position, what traits would they have? Mm. And most of the coaches said point score, you know, but um, it's just like, they liked that. They were like, oh, I've never had that question. Yeah. <laughs> and right? that's a really, that's kind of an obvious answer, but like for a libero, um, that's a good question, you know, setter, because different coaches have different ideas of what they want in those positions. You know, some or coaches like, want a setter. Yeah. How do Go you ahead. define culture? How do you define culture? What does culture mean to your program? What a kind of yeah. leader are you? You know, those kind of questions that yes. give you a peek behind the curtain as to how do they, how, how long has your staff been with you? Or, you know, like those are the things that you understand. Oh, these people are important to me. And you hear them talk about we're yes. a family here and we, yes, we the family. Athletes. Yeah. Yeah. That that's aspect. one thing my daughter said to the coaches on the phone is I'm really looking for a family atmosphere. Yeah. Well, some programs aren't like that. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. And screaming so. for that right it's it's hard yeah I feel like a lot of the kids feel like they're just excited that they were chosen so but it's a two-way street right they're recruiting yeah. you but you're also recruiting them so absolutely you gotta make yeah. sure you're and that's why I want freshmen to have 40 schools on their list um because you need if you have 10 you just have it's you know casting a wide net which kids don't understand that phrase but it's yeah. you know you're trying to catch 100 fish well you need to cast that net in a wide, wide, wide area, right? Kind of the yeah. same thing. You want to come down to, I love juniors to have 10, you know, 10 active schools minimum. They're talking back and forth. They know they need their position in their class. They're about to get an offer and then they get like five offers, you know, yeah. that's yeah. like a perfect world. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it's the culture. It's what is your coaching style? I mean, and it's hard because you're, you're going to get all the perfect answers, right? Mm -hmm. But I've heard my daughter, it's funny because, you know, what I do, and then she was on the phone with a lot of, you know, a few coaches. But one coach said, um, I don't know what our team culture is. Oh, interesting. Oh, oh. So, oh. Yeah, I answer that question, you know. Oh, how long have yeah, you been there? Just, hmm. <laughs> she's there anymore. Yeah, um, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, so coaching philosophy, the culture, um, what would the athletes that are playing for you, what do the players love most about playing for your program and what do they love most about the school? Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. a really good one. Yeah. So it's just questions that you can't look up, you know? Yes. Yeah, that's so. great advice. Um, and then for D3s or schools that aren't giving any money, this is a question I get a lot too, right? So it really is about your acceptance into the university, right? They're not, are they getting an offer or how does that work? 
Well, usually um, there's pre-screened the athletes academically. So, you know, pretty early if you're talking back and forth. So number one, they and this is what a lot of people don't really think about is they need have to need your position in your class, mm-hmm. right? So you can be an amazing setter, but if they're not recruiting a setter in your class, it, it goes off the list. Um, but then, you know, I've had other coaches say, we don't know what we need every year, you know, mm-hmm. but that is um, injuries and transfer yeah, portal. with the transfer portal and everything. But in general, they don't know for freshman, sophomore so much, but by the time you're a junior, you know, you're not in, especially setters, middles, you know, really specific positions. Mm-hmm. Um, liberos, they're they're gonna know if they need it in twenty, you know, a junior. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, for D three though, it's getting they need your transcripts. Then they kind of decide is this green light, yellow light, red light. Like from a transcript, you know, what kind of classes are you taking? What did you sign up for your senior year? You know, they'll want to know your schedule for your starting your senior year. And then it's just, um, you know, you've got to obviously be their level of play. They think that you can help them win their conference, which is Mm -hmm. the goal of every college coach, Mm -hmm. and um, make their team better. You fit in with the culture. Then the transcripts are a match. You know, they could green light. They could predict that you would get in. And then they do the pre-reads for athletes. Um, And then some schools can't help you at all. It's very school-specific. Some schools there is a little bit of leniency for athletes where maybe you don't have to have, you know, I don't know how to put it. Like it, it, they can help you get in Ivy league schools. I know that's D one, but they get admissions tickets and they only have so many so that, but the athlete still needs to be green lighted where, you know, they're not like would never get in, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just, and then other schools where say, you know, you've got to get in on your own. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just, it depends for D3 on the school itself, um, how that, you know, if the athlete will get in. And then most of the time, though, it, being an athlete helps. Yeah. So if you're D1, an athlete, D2, but D2, D3. where they've given you the pre-read and they say, we think we can get you in, you're probably yeah. also smart to not cut off other options and apply to other places or do you ED? to that D3 and that gives you the highest chance of getting accepted? Oh my gosh. Now you're getting into my. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's my always, well, this is my, let me find out and get back to you, but okay, um, yeah. no, it's just not, my specialty isn't admissions, but I do help a lot of D3 athletes through the, you know, recruiting process so, where they get to that point. You know, you're getting, they ask you for your transcripts, you know, that's, a great sign. Um, yeah, the pre-reads and the early decision, I just, my philosophy is you always want more than one. Yeah. You know, you don't want to count on one school. Um, so, but with D3s, I, I don't think you can do early decisions with more than one school, right? Mm-hmm. So. Right, no. Um, okay. So yeah, so it's, you know, still having multiple opportunities and just keep moving through the process. I, I also say like, every school on your list has its own timing, you know, so you have to match up to that school's timeline. So once you're a junior, you got to figure out D1, D2, D3, 
NAI, what is their recruiting timeline? What are they, when do they want to make a decision by? Um, mm-hmm. If they see the athlete they want, they'll make the decision quicker. But mm-hmm. if they're still looking at lots of players, you know, just trying to make sure that you're on their timeline. Like if a coach says, when are you looking to commit? I never want players to, oh, I'm just kind of taking my time. You know, yeah. even even a sophomore after June 15th, you know, let's say you're starting to talk to coaches that fall during your high school season, um, then getting prepping for club in January, you know, of your of junior year. Don't ever tell a coach, I'm just taking my time. Like, because if you, if you come across a school that you love, you're on the phone, you visit, it's awesome. You commit if they offered, right? Yeah, right. So I like the answer of just, I'm ready to commit whenever I have the perfect opportunity where I feel like everything is a great fit and, you know, academics, team, school, coaching staff, like whenever that happens, I'm ready. Which I think goes back to your casting a wide net because these girls don't, none of us know what we want when we're 14, 15, 16. So testing a lot of different things so that when the right thing comes along, you can go, oh, this feels right to me versus just sitting back waiting for the right thing to arrive. Well, it won't arrive unless you're doing the work, right? And exactly multiple people talk, looking at multiple schools, figuring out what you might want to study, you know, and again, yes. it could change it, and it probably will change, but at least yeah. pick a direction, right. And, and try to, well, go the earlier you start, the earlier you'll finish. Yeah. <laughs> I think, although D3s you can't finish <laughs> early, no, early yeah. um, because of admissions, but you could still start early as a freshman and then you figure it out. I've worked with players where they're, really interested in the Northeast D3. And then by the time they're junior, they're like, no, I want to be in California, (laughs) you know? Right. So it's just the earlier you start, the earlier you'll finish slash know what you want. Um, And then the goal is to get multiple offers, you know, and I like players to, and this is just, you know, perfect world, have offers on the table and, and be committed by summer before their senior year. Um, so that you're not starting school your senior year not verbally committed when you start your senior year and not uncommitted it's it's not bad it's just harder you just Mm -hmm. get more you know internally the family at home you're just more stressed you know um so if you start your freshman year or you know and if I'm talking to people on this podcast and they're not freshmen they're sophomores to start, you know, get it's started fine. in the yeah. process as yeah. soon as you can. And then um, I like people to be consistent. I've seen, you know, other recruiting people or companies say, you know, once a month email, I disagree. It's every couple weeks before okay. tournaments, after tournaments. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. I would love it for you to watch me play. Thank you for, I, if you were able to watch me play, thank you. You know, just like, Mm-hmm. Keep it's like a conversation that never stops. And I know these coaches are getting thousands of emails, right? Literally. So yeah, getting them yeah. to open email is also even just in and of itself a a, a huge victory, right? So yeah. Uh, we could spend a whole podcast talking about that too, right? <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah. So if any anything from this podcast 
to take home would be just get started and stay consistent and keep the communication going. Always have a purpose for your communication. Like I would love to know if you're recruiting my position in my class. I would love to talk to you on the phone. I'm available these days and these times next week. Um, what's good for you? You know, it's almost mm-hmm. like I'm teaching people how to be email business, business, you know, mm-hmm. oh, it's not just finishing a communication or even a phone call saying, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> yeah. No, no what's so next? Yeah. You always have Thanks to know much. what's happening next. Right. Yeah. Oh, such good advice, Diane. We should do this another time we're already at 45 minutes i said we're gonna do 30 but this has been so good yeah we'll have to do another time but tell everybody again your website and where they can find you and you said you have a great active facebook group so talk about that um yeah so i've been doing this since my oldest started the process and then my younger one's going to portland state which we're super excited about this fall um and then i've worked with lots of players uh, in between, you know, I work one-on-one with players, but um, I do have a Facebook group. It's called College Volleyball Recruiting for Parents. So I have lots of parents in there from all over the country. Um, I'm doing Facebook Lives in that sometimes. And then I started another Facebook group called Volleyball Recruiting Insiders. And that's a membership uh, format where I review video for the player um, I do lives every week in there. Um, that's $20 a month, cancel any time. But it, I'm like more like one-on-one, but in a group setting. Nice. Um, in that Facebook group, and I'll answer questions specific to everybody in the group. It's very small, but that's, that's what we like about it. Um, and then I have my website where you can find out about all of this stuff. It's proactivevolley.com. Um, and then if the, if someone got on my email list, which you'll get the checklist, I have a guide to creating your target list. If you get on my email list, I email every pretty much every Friday. Um, and it's all my emails. I'm just like, they're so long. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I'm going to read them now. <laughs> You're on my email list. Yes. Um, yeah. Sometimes I'm like, oh, my gosh, Diane, like, it's a thousand words. <laughs> <laughs> but they're so good. They're filled with like I might as well just I'm I just have to be me, you know. That's yes. how I operate is I yes. like to get into the detail, you know. Good. Make sure you do this, make sure you do that. So um and then I have a lot of people ask me questions and I respond to everything. Um so I did create an emailing course. It's on my website too, but that helps players like it's me on video really teaching how to communicate with coaches how to move through the process and then all the templates so intro email templates that are like a skeleton to how to form your email the subject lines um check-in emails thank you emails so that's something else i i have too she's a wealth of knowledge <laughs> yeah she's kind of- I, I just decided to do this uh, webinar series which people can find on my website, but I'm going to do that leading up to June 15th, just to help Bob for sophomores, um, 2025, just to help them get ready for June 15th. So, um, yeah, I love just helping athletes and families. I get teary when they commit, you know, it's just super exciting. Yeah. Thank you. We have the same mission. I, and I love that. I do. I love helping at a girl that 
I was speaking to in South Carolina and the dad's DMing me this morning saying how much I changed her life. And I'm like, wow. Like, I, it's just, yeah, like I did, I got teared up. I'm like, wow. Oh, thank you. I didn't realize it was that big of a deal, you know, but so you don't know far in the process and what they're going yeah. through and you, you can be a helpful ear, then that's amazing. Right. So, yeah. Well, thank you for doing what you're doing. It was so great to have yeah, you on. Thank you. Um, yeah, we'll we'll keep continuing. Parents, please reach out to Diane. She's obviously wealth of knowledge and is, I always think of myself as Switzerland, right? You're like the person there that's just there to help and guide. Yes, you know, yes. Without, you know, and so I, this youth sports thing is, gets so crazy and people have, we like these people and not these people. And no, we're just trying to help everybody figure out what's best yes. for them. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you yeah. so much for being on. Parents, if you thank like you. this, please share it and um, go check out Diane's work and we will see you soon. Thank you.